Hello, welcome to the Marriage Underdogs Radio Show. I am your host, Chris A. Matthews. And once again, I have another phenomenal guest. I would like to introduce our listeners to Anastasia Sims, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and owner of Healing Works. She is out of, she is out of the beautiful city of Chicago. Welcome, Anastasia. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. So glad that you're here. So I always like to start with my experts to gain a better understanding of how you got into the field of marriage and family therapy, because I believe that this is a calling. This isn't something you just wake up and sign up to do. So share a little bit about how you found your calling into this field. Yeah, so, well, I think I have two things I think of. One is growing up, you know, I saw sort of what could happen with couples when they didn't have the tools, you know, um, to work through past traumas that they brought in um, and work, you know, work through them and have a healed love. And so I think being a, experiencing that firsthand, <laughs> you know, um, I think it already put something in me where I was like, there has to be a different way. Like there, you know, there has to be a, a better way. But then that was sort of in the back of my mind until um, in high school, this was sort of the makings of it. I did an internship, but it was a, a law internship <laughs> because I was pre-law. And so it was so interesting because it was a small town. And so basically all the lawyers were in the same office. Hmm. Um, and so I was working with like I say corporate lawyer because it was a small town. So there was not a lot of like- Everybody there was a lawyer for everything, right? Yes, for everything, like literally. And so it was funny because, you know, I'd finished, you know, whatever my internship stuff was. And then I would always be in the family law person, like that lawyer, I was always in his office and I was just talking with him about the different cases. And he would talk about how, you know, like, maybe not in all cases, but in many of the cases he saw, divorce could have been prevented. Mm -hmm. And I was so curious, you know, like, and so uh, that was sort of the beginnings of it. But I still thought that I was pre-law. But then as I got into um, undergrad and started taking, I majored in psychology. And so the more counseling courses I took, the more I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> I want to do therapy. And I want to focus on working with couples, especially. So, yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad you shared your story because people who are listening that may be in a tough relationship can be inspired to know that not everybody is looking to make a living on someone else's downfall. But yet we have professionals like yourself who are called to help people repair and rebuild a relationship even when things get rocky because you can assume if you're in a divorce attorney's office it must have gotten pretty bad when it comes to your relationship and you were inspired to be in that position as an intern to not look at making money on someone's pain but how can you focus on repairing and rebuilding the foundation of marriages that's special I know that from your profile, you talk a lot about your work with Black couples and helping them creating a long-lasting relationship. Can you share about three tips for the couples that may be 
uh, minorities that are listening. And I want you to be specific on some topic or contents that might apply more with a minority or African-American compared to a Caucasian, right? Because race is a contextual factor. So how does that contextual factor of race play into certain issues that you might see more prevalent in the African-American community compared to other cultures? Yeah, I think, um, well, the first word that comes to my mind is vulnerability. Mm. And so, because I think especially, you know, um, as for Black people in the U.S., vulnerability is oftentimes not an option, not to operate in your day-to-day, -day, you know. Um, and so, but I think in order for, to create a long-lasting love, vulnerability has to be center and present. And so I think a lot of the, in terms of the three tips, it's first kind of taking a look at intergenerationally, like how did your um, parents express love? How did your grandparents express love? You know, like- When it comes to yeah. love. Right. Yeah, like how did that happen? How did they express emotions or not express emotions? And, you know, like how does that then impact how you are with your partner, or your husband or wife or, um, and so I think there's that piece, but then I think there's the vulnerability piece, um, uh, which would be, I guess, that second tip of how can you create um, a sacred, I like to call it a sacred space within your relationship where whatever. I, 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 like, I like that word sacred, because when you yeah. think of sacred, it's something that should only be shared with you and your partner. Right. Yeah. Like, I think when you can create a sacred Base with your partner then it's fine you know like in order to be out in the world you don't have don't you know the vulnerability thing it's a lot of times it's not safe um if you're black or if you're um you know a person of color it's not it's not safe and that's okay um but that wall has to come down um in that sacred space with your partner um because a lot of times what happens is it comes in and then you know, you're, you're at war with each other. And so if that can go down, I mean, I think that's a huge piece. Wow. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned vulnerability as a key concept in relationships, because as a African-American man, I've worked in environments where I'm the only black person. Yeah. And when I come home to my partner, I want to feel like I don't have to perform or be mindful of my language in a sense that's going to be offensive to others that just don't identify with my culture. Right. And I could see how as, a, as, as you work with couples, if one partner doesn't have a comfort to take that mask off and despite your race or what culture you come from, there's a subculture that's created within the workplace, depending on where you yeah. are employed, where you have to be somewhat different because you're adapting to the workplace culture at that point. Right. And what I'm hearing you say is you help couples learn how to come into the relationship day in and day out and not feel like you have to wear that veil or that mask yeah. of protection because you can just be your authentic self. Right. Yes. That's powerful. What are some of the benefits that you see your couples gaining when they work with you after that transformation has occurred 
where they may have entered session, closed up, not as open, but from the interventions and techniques that they perform in your office, what does the end result look like? Yeah, I think um, there are a few things. I would say first connection and understanding, like, you know, being able to understand each other better and where, you know, where your partner comes from and where they're coming from, you know, when it comes to communication in terms of like what they're, I love to explore, you know, for both people, like what your family life was like, um, you know, and messages just received growing up um, from society, from family, um, yeah, just all from peers. Um, And so I think there's a deeper understanding of, oh, okay, so, when I hear that tone, like, I think it's anger, but really what it is, is maybe, you know, you're frustrated because you feel like I'm not hearing you. Mm -hmm. And so when you can speak at that level, there's a deeper level of connection. So it it doesn't, I think um, it provides a way to navigate conflict, um, you know, that leads to deeper intimacy instead of conflict that leads to disconnection. Wow. Can, Can you share that, share about that a little bit more? I heard you say content conflict, excuse me, that leads to deeper intimacy and connection. Talk about how conflict can pull a close, a, a, messing my words up today. Conflict can pull a couple closer together instead of farther apart. So I think, I think with conflict, I think conflict in and of itself is not bad. I think in and of itself, it's a good thing because if you're in a partnership, like you're different people. So you're going to butt up against each other. You have different um, histories, maybe different experiences with trauma. Um, And so, you know, like that it's, it's inevitable and it's not bad. It just shows, oh, you're both unique, you know, people who are, um, who have entered into this relationship. And so I think um, with that being said, oftentimes, uh, conflict has been mishandled in a way that leads to disconnection between couples with, you know, if it leads to arguments, um, you know, maybe there's more yelling or maybe there's just the silent treatment, but there's no resolution, then that just keeps, and there's no vulnerability um, that, you know, that keeps you further and further apart from each other versus conflict that leads to deeper intimacy and connection is conflict where, you know, um, partners can look at, okay, what's going on for me underneath the anger or, you know, what's going on for me underneath the, like, you know, if I have a tendency to shut down, mm-hmm. what what's happening for me and being able to communicate those things um, in a space where everyone is willing to listen actively and um, with ears of compassion, then it leads to deeper intimacy because then even though this conflict still happens with this pathway, now it's like, oh, okay, hey, I was angry. That was, ang- you know, I was angry because I felt, you know, like, like I wasn't a priority or whatever it is. And so being able to own those emotions, then you can have a conversation of, oh, I never want you to feel like you're not a priority, you know, like, and then brainstorming might happen of like, first, first, I want, you to know, you are a priority and also, okay, I don't want you to feel that way. So what can we do this week to, um, you know, so I, that I can show you that you are a priority or, um, 
things like that. But I think it leads to more, it leads to resolution. And I think that's what also leads to deeper connection too. It also sounds like you have to have a level. In, it also sounds like you have to have a level of introspection to get to that point. Yes. You can't teach your partner what you need if you first don't know what that is. Exactly. You have to figure out what it is that you need and say it. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like, you know, there are these uh, like expectations that aren't being communicated and there are these needs that maybe, you know, like if I don't know what I need, then I can't ask for it. I certainly can't ask for it in a way that is going to be received. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other piece you talked about earlier around conflict, talk about how conflict styles are developed because as licensed marriage and family therapists, we tend to utilize genograms and other tools that look at uh, cross-generational patterns. And we find that conflict can also be something that's passed down. If we witness or observe a caretaker utilizing profane language or aggression, and then we see our parent or sibling responding by way of that level of force, then we could easily be trained in thinking that's how we get what we want too. What are some other ways or examples you've seen by working with uh, couples and individuals, how conflict patterns are passed down? Can you talk about that? And then how can the listeners break those patterns if they are ones that they, they are, if there's someone who finds themselves, you know, captured into that state of I'm only responding the way I was taught to respond? Yeah, I think that's good. And I think your example is a good one. That's one way that I see it. If, um, you know, if you grew up in a high conflict household, that's how, that's what you learned in terms of, oh, this is how I communicate my needs. Um, and so it's breaking that pattern. I also think too, um, for people who maybe grew up um, in a household where parents didn't argue in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so then- because so, so Pause on that one. <laughs> Like, so go deeper in there, that because yeah. we we both, I'm sure, have had clients come in our office and they wear it like a badge of honor. I yeah. never witnessed my parents argue or fight. Talk yeah. about how that could be detrimental to a couple versus it being something that should be applauded. Yeah, because I think it's sort of like it it is literally on the opposite side. So if you have someone who grew up high conflict, you know, and so things maybe never got resolved, it's um, then to me, this is the literal opposite. And so it's, um, it's just as detrimental, basically, as this just in different ways. And I think the ways that it's detrimental are, well, first is kids, you know, like, kids pick up on tension. Mm -hmm. So even if, um, you know, even if your parents never argued, whether you remember it or not, as a kid, you would have felt the difference of when they weren't aligned. But it's, you know, what's different is you wouldn't know why, you know, so there's no way to know why. And then all of a sudden, that tension is gone. You have no idea. So I think there's that piece where it's, um, it can create this hyper awareness of, wait, <laughs> you know, is everything okay? I don't know. But then I think the other piece too is that then the skill set is never there because I think to have a couple who maybe they argue in front of their children, but then they resolve that argument in front of their children, then 
you know, those, what those kids learn is how to resolve and that they learn one conflict, it happened, it's okay. Um, but it also can be worked through together as a team. Um, and so I think um, when you don't have that, then conflict seems like it's bad. It always seems like it's a threat. And it feels like if there's conflict, and that means that this relationship isn't perfect, or, you know, there's something wrong here. That's so important to mention, and I'm 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 hoping that the listeners are catching the 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 lesson that you're describing. Because what I'm hearing you say, Anastasia, is that it's not the frequency, it's not the intensity. It's more about the process of conflict. So if you have parents who argue in front of their children, but it's done with respect and the children are able to see the entire conflict life cycle from start to finish, they're able to observe how conflict is something that's normal, is natural, and it can be resolved without violence. It can be resolved without put downs. It can be resolved without profanity. It can be resolved in a constructive manner and as people, we learn, especially children, they're so impressionable. They learn through what they see and what they experience. And you talked about the anxieties that could be birthed in children who may not know why their parents are arguing, but they know there's this tension or pressure that's there. I love the fact you broke that down. What are some things that couples can use to help diagnose if the conflict or the conflictual conversation or heightened conversation should continue to take place or when it's time to take a break, take space, and then come back. So talk about diagnosing conflict and understanding what methods we should use based on that assessment. Yeah, that's a good question. I think so the first thing that came to my mind is active listening. If if you feel like, you know what, I'm able, I can hear my partner, I'm listening to understand, I'm not listening to respond, but I'm listening to understand, you know, and I know that I'll get my turn to talk to you. Like if you, you know, if you're in that space, I think that's a good sign that, okay, you are in a place where you can receive it. And if you um, if you're in a space of, oh, wow, okay, not only can I hear this, but I can I can be accountable to my actions or inactions. Um, I can be accountable to the impact of them, regardless of my intention, you know, I can, I can be accountable to that. But I think um, for couples, like if you're finding yourself in a space where you can't hear and all you're thinking are responses, I think that's a sign, okay, take a break. I also think paying attention to physically too, to what's happening. Cause I think a lot of times things are happening in your body. Like, you know, um, some people, yeah, heartbeat racing, like some people feeling like a pressure on their chest or feeling like their throat is closing up. Um, you know, things like that, paying attention to that. Cause once, once we're there, then things can escalate pretty quickly from that. And so I think <laughs> once you, yeah. yeah. You like that is a good indicator. Hey, you know what? Let me take a five minute break. I'm gonna come back. So always, you know, making sure you say when you're gonna come back. But 
going off. And especially if those physical things are happening, then maybe you go off, you grab a drink of water, take a deep breath, and then come back. Absolutely. I, I love the fact that you provided some techniques that couples can use to properly take space. And more importantly, some signs and symptoms that couples can identify with when they're assessing if they should continue a conflictual conversation or not. And the biggest one I heard you say was, if you're unable to remain being an active listener, you're not able to sustain the conversation. Yeah. I'm gonna say that again. If you're unable to remain being an active listener, then you're unable to sustain the conversation. So there needs yeah. to be a break. And as a partner, I would rather prefer if my wife told me, hey, I'm not in the place right now to listen than to try mm -hmm. to force a person to stay there to listen. Because when you cut on the water faucet and there's a cup underneath, at some point that water can only hold or that cup can only hold so much water. Right. And we have to be mindful to allow our partner the opportunity to absorb what we've poured into them before we continue to pour something new in. Yeah. Anastasia, this has been phenomenal. I know our time is almost up. I want to give you space to share any last or final words that you have for our listeners. And also just talk about uh, your practice and you're out of Chicago. So mm -hmm. anything you want to share that could be helpful and to just solicit your services one more time for those that are listening. Yeah, you know, I think the last thing that I'll share in terms of something that could be um, helpful would just be to not underestimate to the power of um, generational patterns being passed down. So really, I think for, you know, for people to do the work even to understand, you know, their history and how that also impacts, you know, how you show up for your partner, I think it's is monumental. Um, and then for me, so I do, I have a, I like to call it a budding group practice. Um, so, um, so we're called Healing Works. And so I'm out of Chicago um, and also do provide services in Colorado as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, we work a lot with um, couples, individuals, and especially Black couples and couples of color um, around a lot of these issues, um, as well as working through intergenerational trauma and patterns and how that also shows up in the relationship. Um, and so, yeah, the best way to contact us is through the website healingworks.co um, to schedule an appointment. Um, yeah. So anybody in the Chicago area, please check out healingworks.co. Anastasia Sims, licensed marriage and family therapist. Anastasia, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to have you on the show. And you provided so much good detail around the work you do with, with Black and African-American couples. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. And I look forward to meeting with you again. For all those listening, please uh, leave your comments, like, repost, reshare. Also, the episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, you've listened to Marriage Underdogs Radio Show podcast. I'm your host, Chris A. Matthews. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to bringing you another episode next week.
थैंक यू